Father, we just thank you, Lord. And we come to you and we say, Father, one more time, before the year closes, speak to us. Bring to our remembrance the things that you have already spoken. So that, O oh Father, there is continuity in our life. Because you are the same yesterday, today, forever. The years that are passed, the year that is passing, the year that is coming, there is only one constant in our life. That's you. There's only one constant that never changes. That's your word. So help us to reflect and look back all that you have spoken. And know it was the Father speaking to his children. Where we have failed, there is mercy. Where we are struggling, there is strength. Where we have lost hope, you are the God of hope. Above all, I pray, fate will arise. And we'll grab hold of all your promises. Speak to us. Young and old, speak to us. The youngest here to the oldest, speak to us. For you said in your word, from the womb to your gray hairs, I am the Lord that carries you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. For those who were there, actually, not just fasting, but also were there at the meetings which we had at the church office this past seven, this is the seventh night, we started on 25th. Some of the things would be easier to understand, familiar, but you will understand because primarily we will be looking from the Old Testament. And uh, the Old Testament, 2019. So we look into the Old Testament and we wonder, why, why should we believers in a church in India look at the Old Testament, which is all about Israel? <laughs> it's because Israel's history often, if not almost always, mirrors our own history, the history of the church. Like I said yesterday and therefore yesterday nights, if you look at Israel history, it can be divided into three phases. Israel in Egypt, and then Israel in the Promised Land, and then Israel in Babylon. And how did they reach Babylon? Because of a series of compromises until the world represented by Babylon swallowed it up. But through it all, if you look, God was faithful. And he kept on sending his word through his servants. Kept on speaking over and over and over, warning, chastising. Kept on speaking. The only thing that was true in the entire history of Israel 
from Egypt to Babylon and the remnant who came back was God. And we will all look back one day in eternity and realize we are not here even today because we were faithful. It was because he was faithful. Because he cannot deny himself. That is his nature. When John sees Jesus in his vision in the book of Revelation, he says, I am that one true and faithful. That's God's nature. But if you look at Israel's history, through it all, there was a certain set of people in every generation who were true to God. One small minority in every generation. And they were called the remnant. And I believe God always has a remnant even in the church. In Israel and the church. Who always seek God's face and God's ways. The remnant are those who live by faith. Absolutely surrender to the will of God. In the church, they know that the church is a body. And if the church chooses, like Israel, to go to Babylon, even in Babylon, they will remain true to God. Like some in Israel always was. So you will see as we continue to look tonight, So many thousands, tens and thousands from Israel and Judah were taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar and different kings. But you don't see a record of them. They just faded and assimilated into the Babylonian culture. They just disappeared. Yet, we know the names of some. Though they lived and many died in Babylon. We know their names. Because though they lived in Babylon, their hearts were stayed on the God of Israel. And their minds were always on Jerusalem. One such man was Daniel. And if you look in modern terms, he had reached the pinnacle of success in the world. You cannot reach You cannot be a believer and reach that position in a Gentile world. It's almost impossible. But look at how the Bible describes his success in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Let us use the term governors. Huge province stretching from India all the way to Israel. Massive kingdom. To be over the whole kingdom. And over these 120, three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satrap might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Three about the entire kingdom. And Daniel was supposed to be one of them. But verse three says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Mind-boggling. A Gentile king is planning to make a Hebrew man second to him. Yet, see his heart. You look at Daniel chapter 9 
and read verses 1 to 3. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. What a man. What a man. You reach the top, but your heart is still in Jerusalem. This is what God is trying to tell us. We are all in this world. It's Babylon. Spiritual Babylon. Where are our hearts and our minds stayed on? It doesn't matter. Most of you sitting over here are very, very young. Some of you haven't even begun your careers. Just studying. God may take you up. But will God find in us an excellent spirit like Daniel? And even when you reach the top of the world, what everybody aspires for, your heart and your mind is in Jerusalem. And you're fasting. And you're praying and seeking the face of God. When will this captivity be over? That up there in the throne, you're not looking at it as a place of pomp and power. You're seeing the throne as a place of captivity because your heart is in Jerusalem. And there were many like him. There was an Esther. There was an Ezra. There was a Nehemiah. And of course, Daniel's three friends. Look at Nehemiah 1 and verse 1. Another man. Because all are young. I want to look at these people so that your minds are really, really focused on what God is trying to say. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chishlev, in the 20th year, as I was in Sushan, the citadel. So he's in the capital. In the citadel of the Babylonian empire. That's where Nehemiah is. Now, read chapter 2 and verse 1. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. He's in the citadel. That is where the emperor, emperor stays and he's God protected. That's the safest, the highest place in the entire nation. And he is in the citadel. Not only is he in the citadel, he's the cupbearer. He's the one whom the king trusts. Another man who has reached the top in the reign of another Gentile emperor. Yet look at his heart in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Then Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and moaned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. He would ask, why do you care? <laughs> Haven't you made it in life? Young people, I want you to really think about it. Okay. Their hearts were on a physical Jerusalem. 
There is a Jerusalem from above. Where are our hearts and our minds set? This is the heart of the remnant. This has been the heart of all that we've been preaching all these 12 years. Two thousand years of the Church of Jesus Christ and the history of Israel is almost parallel. The assault of spiritual Babylon, the compromise, the assimilation, where ultimately there is no difference between the Babylonians and the Israelites, the world and the church. And every generation has to contend with this fight. How do I remain true to my Jesus? How do I remain true to that Jerusalem that is from above? If they could remain true to a Jerusalem that is broken down in ruins and the people who are in captivity, the walls are down, the gates are burned, how much more can we be true to a Jerusalem that is glorious? This is the fight of faith. This itself is the battle Paul was talking about, that I have fought the good Fight of faith. Not only that, he says, I have kept it. I remain true to my God. As I went around the entire Babylonian Rome. Rome is called Babylon by Peter in his episode. Because Babylon is a spirit. And he says, I have kept my faith. Jude, in Jude 1 and verse 3 says, every generation has to fight for this. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to these saints. It was delivered 2,000 years ago, once and for all. Jude says, fight for it every generation. Don't compromise. Don't add water to the faith. Don't change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't change the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And those of you who were there for the first time when we gathered as a small little group in my front room. Remember what the first message was? It was called Chosen and Be Faithful. From that day till today, the focus has been this. Be faithful. Be part of the remnant and not part of that huge crowd that just disappeared in Babylon and we have no record of them. Be part of that remnant who will have an answer to the question Jesus asked in Luke 18 and verse 18. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Leave that aside. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? uncompromised set of people when he comes. And we should be able to say, yes, Lord, help me to be that. Not I will be, no. Help me to be one, Lord. And we, from here, we will do everything as God's servants to prepare a set of people set apart for God. That's our God-given duty. So tonight, we'll be turning to the book of Nehemiah. If you know the Babylonian captivity, you know different groups had gone back. One group, which was not the first, one of the later groups was led by Nehemiah. Different groups had gone back. Different kings allowed them to go back. And different groups went back. It's very interesting if you study Jewish history. 
the remnant, the going back was called in their language, Eliyah. I don't know how to pronounce it, Aliyah, Aliyah. It's called the going back, the remnant going back to the promised land, which is in ruins. Those who went back actually were called Yehudi. They were called Yehudi, those who went back. Okay, it's interesting. I still haven't figured out who put that name. I don't know. But they were called Yehudi. And if you look at often, the sole primary focus intention was to go back and rebuild the temple so that worship of the living God could be restored. And groups and groups of people would leave prosperous Babylon and go back to Jerusalem that is in ruins. We need to understand the heart of that remnant. Because they would return. And we would ask, for what? And they would say, so that we might worship him. Because for them, God had said, I put my name on this city. And I put this name on this particular place and this house. That's where you come to worship me. So the heart of the remnant was always to go back to that place and rebuild. Okay? But there was a fundamental issue when we look at the book of Nehemiah. Let's go back to Nehemiah and read. The words of Nehemiah, the son of, we read that. I was in Sushan the citadel that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. Those who survived, what is their condition? Distress and in reproach. Meaning, there's nothing to go back to. You see, Nehemiah has got the same spirit of Moses. Moses chose to leave the treasures of Egypt and identified with the slaves in Israel, in Egypt. Nehemiah will be of the same spirit. He will leave his, what we call, cushy job and choose to be part of that reproach and that distress. That's how you understand a true call. Whenever people come to me and say, I think God is calling me, I said, what will you leave? Are you looking for a job because you have no job? Whom are you identifying with? What have you left? What have you left? Nehemiah left everything. The issue here is, the walls of Jerusalem is broken down. And the gates are burned. The spiritual truth is, once the walls are down, and the gates are non-existent, it doesn't matter what you build inside. Because it won't last. It's open to attack by the robbers, the thieves, the murderers, because the devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. The walls were down. The gates have been burned. The walls were to keep the wrong people out. The gates are to let the right people in. The walls and gates spiritually represent the protection and the separation 
God has commanded to his people. Only when there are proper walls and strong gates can anyone grow spiritually and be a blessing. Now apply it, okay? We are not looking just at the city. In city walls and city gates. Every one of us is a city of God. Part of that city. If you don't have strong walls and strong gates, you will never be able to become the blessing God intended you to be. The walls are down. Gates are gone. As an individual, as a family, as a church, as a Christian organization, you cannot be. It will not last unless the walls are built and the gates are raised up again. Look as individuals. Jacob had 12 sons. Okay. Now don't look into the prophetic part of it. That is playing out in history. But at that point when he had 12 sons, and if you look at their lifeline and their lifetime history, only one son was truly a blessing. The others were not. 11 sons may have been successful in the eyes of the world for a season until judgment came, famine came. But one son was a blessing. Though he was cast into Babylon, and he has to face reproach and distress because he had spiritual walls in his life early and strong gates. Look at what his father says about Joseph in 49.22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. You know what the Ten Commandments are? They are walls. You know what the law was? They are walls. Strong walls. You know what truth is? They are walls. You know what the word of God is? They are walls. He had strong walls early in life as a youth. He had very clear distinction. What I will do, what I will not do. Not only that, he was planted by a well. You really want to be a blessing in 2020? Allow God to build walls around your life. And see that you are planted by the well of God's living water. Then it doesn't matter what you go through life. The next 10 years, the next decade. It's going to change so many of your lives. Because you will be all in your 20s and 30s. When rife, you actually make the real important decisions in life. Look what happened to him. The archers have bitterly grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But he had a wall and he had a well. So what happened? But his bow remained in strength. And his arms of his hand were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you. And by the almighty who will bless you. With the blessings of heaven above. Blessings of deep that lies beneath. The blessings of the breast and of the womb. Your progeny also will be blessed. 
Though Jesus came from Judah, Judah was not a blessing in his lifetime. This is what God says. The blessing over Joseph. Why? Because he had walls. And he had gates. Young people, as you move into 2020, have that vision. Have that vision. Lord, I will have strong walls. And I will be planted by the well. I will meditate upon your word. Nehemiah was broken by the condition of Jerusalem and the condition of the people. That we see in 1.3. Walls are down, gates are burned, the people are in distress and reproach. Why are the people in distress and reproach? Simply because the walls are down. Are you distressed today? Are you going through reproach today? He went through. Joseph went through, but he was not broken by any. His hand was strong through it all. Why? Because the walls were there. Is the church today in distress and reproach? It is. Our families in distress and reproach? They are. Our individuals in distress and reproach? Yes, they are. That's why God gave us all these books, 66 books in the Bible to teach us, to speak to us, because he never changes. Yesterday I gave you three questions. You should ask when you read, study scripture. Right? Three questions. What's the first question? What did it mean then? And you read Nehemiah. What did it mean then? What did it mean to them? Second question. What does it mean now? Because the word of God is living, stretched by the spirit of God. Third, what does it mean to you? You ask these three questions every time you read Bible, the Bible becomes a living book. So if you apply it personally sitting over here, that verse we have read, Nehemiah 1.3 is, the question is, are my walls down? Are my walls down? Are my gates burned? You ask about church around the world. What's the state of the church? Because Jerusalem's walls are down and the gates are burned. Look at Hebrews 12 verses 22 and 23. New covenant. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. The church on earth is called Jerusalem in heaven. The new covenant, the church is called the heavenly Jerusalem, church of the firstborn. The question is, what is the state of the church? The walls and the gates. That's why we study Israel's history, because what you see is being repeated in history. Because out of the whole world, God had chosen one nation called Israel. And that one nation was to display his glory and his understanding and was to be the light to the nations. The rest of the world was under the power of Lucifer, the devil. And God delivered Israel alone so that they would be a light to the nations. But Israel, stage by stage, by compromise, went into bondage. Ultimately was taken 
to Babylon, Jerusalem was destroyed, the walls and the gates were gone. Like Israel, the church and the individuals are called to be the light and the salt of the earth, his witness. He said, you shall be my witness. Once the walls are gone and the gates are done, we too, if we are not careful, the church, I'm not talking about GTC, Hyderabad, I'm talking about generally to the church, we too will go the way of Israel. Because if you look at Israel, after some time there was no difference between the Israelite and the Babylonians. They look the same. And today, after some time, there's no difference between the church and the world. I had a very interesting WhatsApp. It's in Malayalam, but I have to translate it. Let me translate from Malayalam to English. The dress became short and we lost our shame. We started eating out and we lost our health. Our face was covered with makeup and we lost our countenance. Education became only at school and God departed us. All our recreation was before TV, so we forgot our biblical culture too. Our desire was for money, so we lost compassion. All our relationships are on WhatsApp, so there is no families left. And the time God gave us one more year has passed by. Somebody, I don't even know who it is. But isn't that what has happened to the church? You would wonder why should I talk about... Pastor, please, Pastor, please give us our promise cards and leave us alone. We don't want to hear all this. You know what we came for? We have already decided. It doesn't matter what promise I get. I know how I will read it. So you must be wondering, why am I talking about walls so late in the night? <laughs> Let's get to the primary text for tonight. Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 11 to 20. I have a, somebody very graciously has given me an empty glass. God is saying the ear is empty. Ear is over. All you wanted, you should have drunk in the previous 12 months. Okay. Shall we read? Nehemiah 2, 11 to 20. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. And I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. And then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials or the others who did the work. I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste, its gates are burned with fire. Come, 
Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us and therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let's go to verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste, its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. So one hour before the next year, I'm giving you the promise for 2020. Promise of God is arise and build before I come back. Rise up and build your lives, your homes, and the kingdom of God. So that when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. This is a season God is giving. Not just one year, though the first year will define it. The next ten years will be a season of building our spiritual lives. And it begins with building the walls and raising the gates. Because we are not entering into just a new year. We are entering into a new decade. Who knows? Maybe the decade that will usher the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I like 2020. Because it means we need clarity. We need focus. We need purpose. Like Daniel. Like Nehemiah. It doesn't matter how successful you may be in the world now or become in the world, your heart is stayed on one thing, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul will say in the book of Corinthians. Come Lord Jesus. And if anyone doesn't have that heart, let him be cursed. Because that's the whole purpose of life. So the promise of this year, that is 2020, coming year, is arise and build. Make that commitment in your heart. Lord, help me to rise up from my lethargy, my complacency, and my compromise with the world to arise and build our personal lives, our homes, the family of God, that's the church, or the God-given business or career. God-given business, that's part of his plan for you. If God has given you a career, you should be very sure God has given you a career. A God has given you a business. You have to rise up and build it. Don't be lazy. Just because God has given you a career, He won't automatically prosper you. You have to rise up and build. Then only individually, corporately, will be become God's dwelling place. Because eternal principles never change. They never change. That's why scripture says God is the same yesterday, today and forever. They never change. God is the same. Always. His principles never change. 
That's why Moses asked that great prayer, teach me your ways. Because I know I understand your ways. I know you are one person who never changes. Like I told you yesterday, you walk with a man, you understand his ways, you know who he is. The do's and the don'ts. And you know, this is what he is. That's what actually it means somebody walked with God. They understood his ways. It's not that God came down and they're walking together. No, they understood his character, his do's and their don'ts. And they realized, this is who he is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. See, God is a builder. God has got many professions. He's, he's, he's not a jack of all trades. He's a master of all trades. We are the jacks. He's the master. And one of his professions is he's a builder. And the church, the body of Christ, is called a building. And every believer is called a stone. A brick, if you want to. Not brick, a stone. God doesn't use bricks. The devil does. God uses stones. A living stone. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through This is what he is actually doing inside of us. We are all living stones. He's building a living house. But how do we become that stone that will fit in? By constantly coming to him as the living stone. He's the cornerstone. Like I said, you build any building, they, they lay one stone first. And every measurement goes from that. So we keep coming back to Christ, who is the revelation of God, and get our measurements right in life. We keep coming back to him because I am a living stone. I have to fit in with that cornerstone. We keep coming back to Christ. That's why we come to the teaching of the word of God. And if anybody has come here for the very first time, I'm going to preach right into the next year. So that's two years of preaching you're going to get. (laughs) Okay. So God says, you know what? Rise up and build and I'm there. Rebuilding an individual, a family, the body of Christ. But you cannot build Cannot build unless first we have a real, actual, spiritual realization of our actual condition. That's what we see in Nehemiah chapter 1. So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and moaned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. That's why we went on a seven day fast. Why? We are looking back at the wasted times, the wasted opportunities. Okay? And saying, Lord, how much you could have done in me and through me. When he, when he heard the news, he grieved. You will see, when Daniel heard through reading Jeremiah, he fasted and he grieved. Because 70 years of the history is just lost. Some of you may be looking at 2019 as lost a time. Spiritually speaking, what a waste. 
What a loss. Read another great man, like I said, Daniel, chapter 9. Right? He would accomplish 70 years in desolations. Then I sat my, set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer, supplication, fasting, sackcloths, and ashes. You know what these two meant? Identical reaction. It's a symbol of a man coming to God on God's terms. Not for money, not for promotion, not for power, not for anything else except for forgiveness and life that comes from him alone. Going to God on God's terms. These are his terms. Nehemiah saw and Daniel saw the state of God's people. That God no longer had a visible witness on earth. That should be our grief. I I am supposed to be his witness. That even people look at you and me, even if they don't see him, yet they see him. Because he said, you shall be my witness. And our grief is, Lord, I was a very poor witness. Very poor witness in 2019, Lord. And you know, Lord, why? Because my walls came down. And the gates came down. And the world with all its attitudes, pride, selfishness, flesh, got in. Then you have what we have in legal terms. Witness manipulation took place. I was no longer your witness. I was a witness of the world. That's why 2,000 years or more than 2,500, 600 years later, the Spirit of God has still preserved the book of Nehemiah. For everyone who wants to rise up and build again. Because Nehemiah is a type of Jesus Christ. And walls and gates have relevance even today. Isaiah 60 verse 18 is this is what it says. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. Neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. Meaning, if you do not want to face the violence of the world inside. No double-minded men. People in the world are not double-minded. People in the kingdom are double-minded. They like the world and they like God and they are always facing this violence. You will not have to face that violence. Neither wasting or destruction within your borders. Don't waste your time, your energy, your life away. Your strength, your resources away. Why? Because, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Build up the walls of salvation and the gates of praise. True praise. That's why Paul will say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Build it up. Because gates represent an entrance into God's presence and the experiences of God that the righteous will enter into. Nehemiah's mind must have gone back in history where Israel had begun and where Israel had ended. Our mind also should back in history what is given to us, where the church had begun. Because that's what we call, that is our collective history. The history of the church is my history and your history. It's a collect- Because the church extends into space and time. It's our history. And how does our history begin? In Acts chapter 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in prayers 
And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Just how the church began. And we should be nostalgic. But less than 100 years, not even 75 years, even before the last apostle was gone, this was the history of the same church. In Revelation 3, you see, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing. You do actually do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The time before the church, first church age is over, Christ is out. Walls are gone. The doors are gone. So God says to us tonight, can we rise and build spiritually? The first thing is we need to have a real honest appraisal of our own spiritual condition. If you feel good about yourself, you are not ready for anything. Because there are steps to rebuilding. and The first is a very personal honest appraisal with the Spirit of God. He will show you what you really are. And he doesn't come to condemn. He comes to show. And then, there are other steps you and I have to follow. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 12. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do. I've been telling this Quite often, this whole month of December, he had heard from God what to do. Only God can tell us. I or Pastor Vijay or any other preacher can be a vessel he uses, but we can't tell you. Directly, we can't tell you. You would prefer to come and say, Pastor, prophesy over me. No, it doesn't work like that. It may confirm what God has spoken to you, but it doesn't become the leading. Because what God is asking each one is different and special. Because everybody is special. And God has to put it in your heart. He has to put it in your heart. He says, the Lord laid, put it in my heart. We can fast, we can moan, we can pray, do all the right things. And they are right things. But that is the turning our hearts to God and to our spiritual Jerusalem. But God has to put it in our hearts. What am I called to do in life? And there is no turning with him. No shadow of turning. It's a very clear God. It may take time. Until God knows you are serious. And once God has put it in your heart, like 
He is there, the cupbearer to the king. You can't rise higher than that. Because that means the king trusts you with his life. You drink first, then the king drinks. You eat first, then the king eats. Because he trusts you with his life. He's got the king's ear. And yet, God put something in his heart and immediately purpose changes. Bye-bye Babylon. Everything changes. Very clear. That's how it changed for me and for Pastor Vijay. Maybe for many of you. Not only that, absolute clarity from the book of Acts. I have called you to strengthen believers. So when people invite me for a meeting, the first question I ask is believer or unbeliever? It's very clear. They said, no, it's the event. I said, no. That's not, that's not my burden. That's not my burden. My burden, which God has put in me, is to strengthen believers. Because God has to tell us how to build our lives, our homes, our church. Because I may look in the mirror and say, man, I'm cool. And God comes and says, you're a fool. <laughs> he has to tell us. Or you may say, I am going to build my life like this. And God says, you can't build like that way. I will tell you how to build your life. I will tell you how to build your home. I will tell you how to build your spiritual family to be his dwelling place. Because he is the builder. So to get that clarity, say Lord, 2020 Lord, give me clarity of vision. Absolute clarity. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You may be five years old sitting here, Sarah, five years old, Abigail, nine, eight. Eight. Eight, five. No, Samuel must have been five or six. But the day, the third time he went back and the day he opened his mouth and said, Speak, Lord, your servant waits. God spoke to him. Clarity came. This is the purpose for my life. Before that, he only knew that my mother has left me here to take care of whatever the priest says. But that day, everything became clear. This is who I am. And after that scripture says the word of the Lord came and he's building up and Israel is built through that man. So you don't, don't underestimate the age of your children. Be wise like Rebecca and hear like Hannah here. Because everything in your life will revolve. Actually what happens is once you have understood your purpose, you save so much time and energy. We all have only a certain amount of time. We don't have more than that. See, when I get heated up, I need to roll my sleeve up. That's why, I don't know why I put that coat on. It doesn't suit me. It's not that I don't like coats. I wore coats and ties every day. All those days I worked in the secular realm. But I don't know, somehow it chokes me. You know? Once you know your purpose in life, you save time. You save energy. You save money. You save everything. But let God lay it on your heart and not me. You know what it is called? It is called vision. Only that God-given vision can take you till the end. Jeremiah had that vision. The vision he got, he didn't like it. The message he gave, he did not like it. He said, why is that I am the only one who is given this message? Why can't I be a prosperity preacher? And people all clap and say, Hallelujah, every time I preach, people are so mad. Someone to kill me, someone to throw me into the well, someone to stone me. But he says, 
I cannot stop preaching. It's, it's like fire shut up in my bones. So till his last day, his vision never changed because it was laid upon him by God. The burden was laid upon Paul by God. So he will stand before kings years and years later and says, Agrippa, Felix, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. Because you can have earthly sensual vision and try to tap God's power for it. And his strength and his resources which he has given. And believe it is even from God. This is what happened to Solomon. God given wisdom, God given strength, God given money wasted his life away. Ultimately, what a waste. And this is what God tells the Laodicean church in the words we had heard. Revelation 3. Yeah. Anoint your eyes with eyesal that you may see. Because this is your vision is absolutely warped. You say you look, I am wealthy. I need nothing. We may feel like a church. We are good. The word is great. Our worship is fantastic. Oh, we are praying people through the week. God says, you know what? Maybe you need some ointment on your eyes that you will actually see yourself the way I see you. Then vision will change. Oh my God, is this what I really am? This is called spiritual x-ray. What their vision was and what God saw them was absolutely different. That's why we need to hear from God and say, Lord, you tell me what do I look like? What does my home look like? And you have to. Very, very honest, one-on-one, realistic with God. Let's go to Nehemiah 2 verses 30 to 15. The third thing. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, its gates which were burned down. I went to the fountain gate to the king's pool but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley, viewed the wall, then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. He made a very, very close examination of the damage. And God says, do a very honest self evaluation of your life. God will help you. The word will help you. The spirit will help you. Because without the walls, you leave yourself open to the enemy. Do a very honest evaluation at the end of the year. How is the wall of my prayer life? I said, how is the wall of your prayer life? Why? Because Jesus did not say, did not say if you pray. He said when you pray. How is the wall of your fasting life? He didn't say if. He said when. How is the wall of your giving life? He did not say if you give. He said when you give. How is the wall of the study and meditation of the word of God? How is the walls of your spiritual home? How is it? Verse 17 says, You see the distress we are in? Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. He was very honest. He saw it as it was. We have to see life, especially our short, we like to use euphemisms like our shortcomings. Call it by name, at least when you go to God. Please don't give it euphemisms. Give it the name God calls it in the Bible. 
you will be saved. Because you have to see it as God sees it. And he called it as it is. He didn't say, oh, this can be easily repaired with a little patchwork. He said, no, the walls are down, the gates are burned. If that's the state of your life, be honest with God. He's there to build it up. Because we have to see life as God sees it. Because he's the only one who has seen the end from the beginning. Because unless we see it as God sees it, we will not come to the point where we can start building up. You know why Adam and Eve fell? Because they could not see what God saw. If you eat, you will die. They didn't see that. He already saw it. The result of disobeying God is death. He saw it. Do you know why we fall again and again? Because we don't see what he sees. It is there in the word, but we don't see it. We should see the end of wrong choices. And we should see the end of right choices. Both God shows in his word. One of the greatest torments of hell will not just be the fire and the worms that never die. It also will be what they missed out. That's why he said there will be gnashing of teeth. When they see everybody eating in heaven, they will be gnashing teeth on the other side. We should be able to also see what God sees, the good side. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 scripture says, As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You have to actually spiritually start seeing. And then they will say, bye bye world. Because you actually start seeing. You will see death differently. The only reason you want to stay alive is to finish your task. And you don't want to be one moment back because you see as he sees. You won't be like Hezekiah turning to the side and crying, Lord, please don't take me. And also, vision alone will be able to see a wall coming up in the midst of a rubble. You have to have that also. If all you see, oh, my life is gone, it is utter waste, I am finished, woe unto me. No, you should be able to see the wall rising up also. And Nehemiah saw that. If you don't see that as a leader, and you, everyone is a leader, I told you about the four governments established by God. First government is self-government. Second government is family government. Third government is Church government, fourth government is civil government. Before you can reach anywhere, you need to learn to govern yourself. Every man is a king of his own life. Self-government. And you should be able to see, not just the waste of your life, you should also be able to see, the hand of God is upon me, and I will rise, and I will build, and he will restore everything. Otherwise, you only have seen half the vision. You didn't see the other half. You will be discouraged. You will be depressed. And he's inviting everyone to join. Come. What did Nehemiah say? Let us and build. He's not saying, I will build. He says, come. It's a call. Come, let us build. 
In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, Paul will say, we are God's fellow workers. We are not even working along with each other. God is working with us. Co-laborers with Christ Jesus. Are you getting the picture? How we go into 2020? Let's come to the next part. Nehemiah 2, 18. I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. We sang about the goodness of God. How good is, how good is, how good is, how good is, how good is. Where does our strength come from? Where does our hope come from? Even in the midst of ruins. The hand of my God that has been good upon me also of the king's words that he has spoken to me. Do you know that? Now we are not building any physical anything. We are building something that is spiritual. Do you know God is with us? Do you know when you open the Bible to the New Testament you open with Matthew chapter 1 and the first promise in the Bible is Matthew 1, 21. You shall name him Jesus. Why? Because he will. Wow. I can build. Because he will save me from the power of sin. I can build a spiritual house. Because the greatest enemy that I face, the power of sin, he will save me from that. What a promise to begin the Bible with, the new covenant. You shall name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And then two lines later, the second promise in the Bible, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, not only he will save you, he will be, he won't be a teacher who will teach and go. He is a teacher who will stay. Shall name him Emmanuel. Do you know that God is for us? And God is with us? Please remember, in this particular building project, God is always for us. You never have to doubt. Because he's a builder and this is his idea. If you determine in your heart and I determine in your heart, Lord, help me to build a house for you where you will dwell in me forever. Help me to build these walls and raise up these gates. He says, I am with you 24-7. I am with you 100%. That's exactly what I want to do. That's what I sent my son to do. Never have to doubt it. He says, the hand of the Lord is upon me. And he reminded, he spoke to them the king's words. Let us see what the king told them. In Nehemiah 2.6. Then the king said to me, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. What is the first thing he said? I have the permission of the king. I have the king's permission. You have to turn it spiritually and say, you know what? In this project, I have my king's permission. I have his permission. Nehemiah 2.8, scripture says, And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give him timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my 
God upon me. See how God is. So he saying, God's hand is upon me and is moving the heart of my king. That's how actually it works in every life. If the hand of God is upon you, he will start doing things in the lives of those people who have been placed above you. Because God is in a building project. So he got the king's permission. And he got the king's provision. And in Nehemiah 2.9, scripture says, So I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. What does it mean? He had the king's protection. You know, to build, you need these three things. I need the king's permission. I need the king's provision. And I need the king's protection. And that are the words that he's speaking to them to encourage them. The hand of the Lord is upon me. How do I, we know the hand of the Lord is upon me? Because he say, I have the king's permission. I have the king's provision. And I have the king's protection. That's exactly what our king of kings and the Lord of lords is telling us. You have my permission. It's a building project. I said, go and build You have my permission. Go to the ends of the world, make disciples of nations and teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. It's I who gave you the permission. Go. And he says, you have my protection. Romans 8 and verse 31, Vijay prayed that, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We have the king's protection. And Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I have the king's provision. Nothing has changed. That's what I said. You need to understand eternal principles in the word of God, how God operates from generation to generation. You and I have the permission to rise up and build. He says the provision is granted in my son and the protection of the king is with you. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But don't think, because you rose up to build, it is going to be an easy job. No, it's not. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, we have an enemy. Please remember, the enemy of every construction project God's people take. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seizing whom he may devour. They face physical enemies, so it was very visible. We face a spiritual enemy and a few physical, but primarily physical, spiritual, so we get deceived. Every time God's people say in their personal life or corporate life, let us rise and build, the enemy raises his head. Nehemiah 2.19 When Sanabalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Gishim, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Please remember, this is not a Sunday school picnic. These three men are types of the devil-inspired, devil-led opposition. And they too will use the name of the king. When you decide to rise up and build, remember the host of hell will also rise up. 
Somebody said this, I don't know who said it. Always remember, the door of opportunity always swings on the hinges of opposition. The door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. If there is an easy, cheap, lazy way to do the work of God, forget it. It was not the work of God. Just not. Nehemiah in 2.19. 2.19. Shall we go back? You will see the opposition he is facing. Three of the leaders of the land who have been there for a long time. They have risen against him who has come from Susa. There is no SMS. There is no telegram. There is no WhatsApp where you can immediately telegram Susa to ask for nothing. The letter to reach will take another six months. Or one year. We don't know how long it takes. That far away. In 1 Corinthians 69, this is what Paul said. For a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. When you start building what God wants you to build, your individual life, or maybe your family life, or your church, or your business, your career, whatever God lays upon your heart, remember there will be Sanabalats and Tobias and Gishims. They will laugh. They will despise. And they will oppose. But never forget what you are building is Jerusalem. And this is the spirit of those who oppose the building of God's abode. Whenever you bring Jerusalem into the picture, immediately opposition rises. Because the reflection of God's bride over there. Listen to the first time somebody from Israel tries to take over Jerusalem. That is David. The king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind, the lame will repel you thinking David cannot come here. David is one of all the kingdoms and he's going to take Jerusalem. And he came with the despising here. Like, we don't even need to fight you. The lame and the blind among our midst can beat you up. That's the first time somebody is going to take Jerusalem in Israel's history. The first time you face is opposition and they despise you. I'm telling you young people, when you start really working it on from tomorrow onwards, pay me from your own flesh and blood, people will start despising, mocking too much. Too much. Don't try all this. Don't be a radical. You? We saw you in 2019. You build walls? What wall are you talking about? You build gates? Not Bill Gates? <laughs> a lot of people don't want to build gates. They want to be like Bill Gates. That's the problem. And if you came for a promise to become like Bill Gates, I'm sorry. I don't have that promise. There will be much opposition. But do not give up. Do not give up. You will face, you, know, you will face sarcasm, 
after some time sarcasm becomes rowed down right hostility hostility intimidation because most of you come from families which are non believing so far you haven't tasted it so much except a few of you that means you are not radical enough that's why i always tell you these are the things you should decide i decided these things all right in the beginning till last week i faced it doesn't bother me anymore at all if it doesn't come i am upset what happened uh, uh, so is zeal gone <laughs> you know there's a great music conductor one day he played a recital which was bad and he knew it was bad so he was feeling a little bad and was going a couple of his friends said what happened to you today you were in that great and there is his opposing rival another great composer he came to him shook his hands and said sorry you were so great and as he was going back i didn't realize i was so bad because that fellow has to congratulate me that means i am i was really bad today please please these are things you have to decide right in the beginning because otherwise you will buckle under pressure different levels you will buckle under pressure you will face it will be some of you it may be a very laborious task read verse 13 and 14 once again i went out by the night through the valley gate to the serpent well to the refuse gate viewed the walls of jerusalem broken down gates and went to the fountain gate to the king's pool but there was no room for the animal under me to pass what does it mean there is so much rubble and rubbish piled up there was no place for the horse to go some of you may have piled up so much junk in the past years of your life that building your wall will be very laborious but don't give up never give up so much to clear but so task worth taking because your life and your eternity depends upon it your praise could become a whimper and a cry and a complaint that's in Nehemiah 4:10 then judas said the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall who is saying who is saying what does judas mean imagine peter and the worship team comes over here and the worship they are crying oh, we can't do this we all will be discouraged right but they are supposed to be exhorting us to worship god and judah is saying look this is too much rubbish too much rubbish i just can't build the wall you know what i am i'm just a total loss i'm just messed up i've fallen in the same area for the past 10 years and i've never risen i just go back to it over and over and over and over again i'm giving up on myself it's too much that's why i said i'm not saying it's easy i'm not saying it is easy but i'm not saying it is impossible the hand of god is upon you the king has given you permission the king's provision is with you the king's protection is with you to undertake this it has not been easy for us for 12 years if you preach against the prosperity gospel you are good for nothing 
If you don't water down the gospel, you are old-fashioned. If you preach about surrender, you are called a control freak. You called all this? But we never change the message. Because the message is not ours to change. It was not easy. It's not easy. Because until the huge pile of false doctrines are removed, you can build the wall of the city of God. If you build on anything other than the word of God, I'm telling you, it's just a question of time. Your life will crash, your home will crash, your career will crash, and eternity. If you come through the fire, you're lucky. You cannot build on anything else. Nothing else. So Sanabalat rose up, Tobiah rose up, an Arab called Gishem rose up, and he had an answer to all three of them. Verse 20. I answered to them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. That is why I said you need to hear. And you have heard today. It's the only question of believing. It is true. God has given you permission. God has given you his, the provision of his son and the protection of his angelic host to build your life. He says, I am there. Until you are serious, until you have finished that construction, I promise you, God says, you will not die. You cannot be killed. Because I am interested in your welfare. You cannot die. When you die, you will know you are ready to die. Bye-bye. Time to go because I finished. I kept my faith. My race is over. All who are serious. You cannot be killed. I'm telling you, it's impossible to be killed. Because life and death is not in the hands of any system. It's in the hands of God. He says, you have, he says, my permission. You want to build? That's what I'm looking for. Who will build up the walls of Jerusalem and the gates. He says, the hand of God is upon. He will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. And he tells devil, I tell you, you have no portion of me. You have to have the guts to say, 2020, you devil, you have no portion of me. I will arise and I will build the dwelling place. I am the temple of the living God. His spirit lives in me. I want that fullness that was promised. I want that fullness to start overflowing and building me up. I am and you have no portion. You shall have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Be determined. Set your face. You have to determine. Set your face towards building the walls of Jerusalem, the gates of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the spiritual one. In Luke 9, 51, when everybody, including his closest disciples, were telling Jesus, don't go. This is what scripture says. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he set steadfastly, set his face to go to Jerusalem. Set your face. Set your face. Set your face. Lord, let me never forget. For them, Jerusalem was a physical place. Physical place. You know how Daniel and all were? He's rising, 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 higher and higher and higher and in the Babylonian court is going up and up and up. Finally, he looks up, only the king is left. But there's one practice he never changes in his life. Every day, three times a day, he will open his windows in the direction of Jerusalem and he will pray and say, I'm working here, my heart is there. Every day, reminding, this is my heart is there. Every day. 
three times a day. He kept his vision very clear. I am working here, I am prospering here, I am being used here. But you know what? My vision is towards Jerusalem. And every day, three times, four times, seven times, whatever, how many times you get, set your heart towards God's Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. Like a flint, steadfast. Because you will face your enemies. Let me tell you, that's an aside. Sanbalat, Geshem and Tobiah are symbolic of the enemies we all face. Like I said, there is everything is spiritual and literal. Then and now. For them and for me. Sanbalat means, name means hatred in secret. He is the main one behind all opposition because Satan hates God and his people. But when he comes to us, he doesn't show he hates us. He pretends he loves us. He promises riches and wealth and power and influence. And that's what Sanbalat has. He has all of that. As long as you don't build the walls of Jerusalem and repair the gates, he's your best friend. He's your best friend. He loves you. He'll take you out for dinner also. Because he knows the nature of that wall. Because if you build the wall, he knows he's out, you are in. Sanballat represents the devil. Gishem, the Arab, Gishem actually means material or corp. Corruptible or physical. That's what it means. So Geshem means, represents the world. Now you see how wonderful God's word is. Three guys who oppose, and 2600 liters, these three guys' names are speaking to us. One represents the devil. The other represents this beautiful, physical, attractive world, beautiful within quotes. Represents the world. And Tobaya actually is the most cunning. Tobaya means Jehovah is good. Strange name, right? What does this name mean? Jehovah, Tobia means? See, I got so used to being in Telangana. These are all very Telugu names. Chinaya, Tobaya, Jeremiah, <laughs> Isaiah. <laughs> no? So I started saying Aya, Aya. Before I came to Hyderabad, I never knew what Aya was. Okay, so I always tell this to my pastors. You should be very comfortable reading the Old Testament because it rhymes with your names. <laughs> no. What does his name mean? It's interesting. What does his name mean? God is good. Strange name. And yet he is opposing the building of the wall. You know what Tobia represents? It is the flesh, the old man, the Adamic nature. You know the Adamic nature when it came alive, when it ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. You know in our flesh there is good and evil. And you know when people get upset, they get very upset when you question the good they did by the flesh and expect to get brownie points from God. That's when people get offended.
If I were to tell Peter, for the next two months you are not leading worship, he is going to get upset. You know why? Because of the good things he has done here. He won't get offended. I am telling you. You know, you know that good, good side? Good side? Somebody touches you there. Your good works. That is to bear. It becomes the very block to your building. That's why scripture says we are saved unto, first we have to be saved from this flesh. Then only we can do some work. When that work is done, it is God's work, not your work. That's why I tease some of you really, really all the time I tease you. Why? That's a proof you're dead. I don't tease everybody. But if you get little close to me, the, the one who gets teased most is of course my wife and then Pastor Vijay. Why? How do you know your flesh is dead? You can take a joke about yourself. Otherwise you get offended. What do you think about me? That me is that Adam. That's why somebody said, you can kick a dead dog any number of times you want. He never bites. What does it mean? If you have truly died in your baptism, you are not offended. You can say whatever you want. It doesn't bother me. We have to come to that point. That's to be. Who will oppose. So the three people who oppose, who will oppose you rising up, building up the walls of your salvation and the gates of your praise. You know how incredible that walls can be and how wonderful and powerful that praise gates can be. It's like Paul and Silas in the prison. They have been stripped naked, beaten, thrown into the prison. And the walls are high. They never question God. They have no issues with God. They never question the goodness of God, the mercies of God, the purpose of God. And they open their mouth and praise is flowing because the walls of salvation is high and the gates of praise are strong. That's what I'm talking about. Not about building a physical Jerusalem. You praise God through it all. You're always facing what you call your worst case scenario. But your walls are high. You have built the walls of your salvation. You are secure in Christ and Christ alone. Hebrews 13, 15, or 13, 15 will say, we offer constantly, without unceasing, what do we? The sacrifice of praise. That's when you know your walls are, and the gates are in place. Nothing can stop you. You praise God. Whatever happens, you know, when my father died on January the 11th, 1994, I was the only son who was kept beside him. That was God, because I was the only child who was saved. <clears throat> the others all came later. So I was beside him reading Psalms out. He couldn't talk because this, this thing was tubes and everything. I read, I read for him, spoke to him. And he's actually, I am the only one he spoke to in his last days. Okay, so there are a lot of stuff I know which others don't know. He told me a lot of stuff. He talked. I spoke to him, prayed with him, prayed for him, read and all. Then on that morning, I was sitting beside him like this, watching. Mom was sleeping. I was watching him. And I looked at him and I knew he was dying. And he was going. So I woke mom up and sit beside, let me call the nurse and the doctor. He's dying. And as I ran down the corridor, I knew 
and I came back, I would be gone. Anyway, you know what? The anointing of the Lord hit me like this. I was laughing as I ran because I knew my father had made it. I knew he had made it because he got saved just two days before he died. But I knew salvation was real. Ultimately in life, that's the only thing that matters. I couldn't, literally couldn't stop smiling that whole day because I knew he made it, he made it, he made it because I was never sure whether he would make it. Because these are all good traditional Christians who have never surrendered or accepted Christ. They think their good works will make it. They were like prisoners of, what is his name? Tobaya. Mallu serving a Telugu. But the last moment, he surrendered to Christ and he made it. You look at life, you, you have to see life that way. Okay, that tells me I have seven minutes before the year ends. I kept that seven minutes for my wife to pray because I know she will pray for seven minutes. <laughs> I time people also. I told Eric I will never call you to pray because I give you to pray, you take pray for 30 minutes. You take half my sermon time also away. <laughs> So if I call you to pray, I will time you. Five minutes, okay, Eric? Are you getting it? What praise actually means. That's why it's called sacrifice of praise. Old days, praise was all animals dying. Today we don't die. We are put in through such tightening situations and we still praise him. God says, that's a sacrifice of praise. Not coming here late and hallelujah, not that. You're putting through the ringer. Because you have the enemies against you, ranged against you, to push you down, to destroy you with every weapon in their capacity. And you are still able to praise God. God says, that's the praise I'm looking for. And that's what Paul and Silas is doing. Praising God through that all. And you should be able. That's how you know your, 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 your gates are going. Because you all need this thing, you know. How do I know my walls are going up? How do I know my gates are going up? Because you will suddenly see there's a tangible change in your life. Now when trouble comes, praise is coming out. Earlier you were depressed, earlier you were discouraged, earlier you were angry, but you realize, okay, I can praise, I can praise, I can praise, I can praise. And suddenly you realize you are still, he's taken over. Amen? We'll close, not the message, it will continue after midnight. But I will ask Sister Elsa, could you come? And uh, will you lead us into the next year? We are moving into the next year. So as we close and enter into the next year, could you give her a microphone, please? We'll all stand up. We'll all stand up. And when I hold your hand, that means we have entered 2020, okay? Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. You're truly, truly a good God. Truly a good God. Love you, Lord. We love you. Oh, you brought us through, Lord. You brought us through. What a privilege, what an honor, my God, to know. These 12 months, my God, you were there, a whole decade gone by, my God. Jesus, Jesus. Yes, truly, Lord, we need to learn to praise you, my God. 
in good times, in bad times, in ugly times. Oh Lord, save us from ourselves, my God, in 2020. Save us from ourselves, my God. Jesus, Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord. Thank you for 2019. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being God in our lives. Thank you for saving our souls. Thank you that we were lost and now we're found. Thank you that you taught us how to lean on you every single day of our lives. Thank you. When everything was so dark, when we were so distressed, when we were overwhelmed, when we didn't know which way to turn, my God, you were there. You were there. You were there. The hand of God was always over us. You never left us, my God. Faithful God. There were times, my God, where we can honestly say we were faithless. When we had doubt. When unbelief crept in, my God. When distress kept in, but you were there, you were there, you were there. We can truly look back and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. We have learned so much in 2019. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're the best teacher we could ever have. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our pastors that fed us. Thank you for manna. Thank you for fresh revelations. Thank you. And yes, Lord, when we look at it in 2019, there were times we truly were offended. The flesh took over, my God. But Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us today, Father. Wash us, Lord. As we go into 2020, my God, I pray that we will look back. We will repent today. Give us the gift of repentance, the gift of humility, the gift of understanding. Help us to understand that you were taking us through storms, through trials, through trusting times. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for thou art with us. Thy rod, thy staff, they comforted us. Thou preparest a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Thou anointest our head with oil. Our cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And as we hear, my God, help us, help us to build walls. Help us, help us, help us. You are our help in time of trouble. You are our deliverer. You have always been our help. You have always, always delivered us. You always brought us through, my God. Our eyes were on you. My God, my God, faithful God, holy God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah God, the great I am, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God yesterday, today, and forever. A God who is no respecter of persons. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you, Lord. We're standing here in church on holy ground. Beginning 2020. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.
you're going to hear the first message of the year. <laughs> so be prepared to wait for the next three hours. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> for those who come for the first time, please don't have palpitations. <laughs> I won't take much long, maybe another 15-20 minutes. And, uh, no? But, <clears throat> put your faith, hope in God. Like we heard last year, that's the previous session, doesn't matter how high the pile is, that even a horse couldn't go over it. Doesn't matter how much garbage you accumulated in 2019 or the years preceding it, it doesn't matter. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. No? It is available. That's why he said, come boldly, confidently, to the throne room of grace, and receive mercy. That one sacrifice of Jesus Christ has taken care of everything. Everything. Honestly. No? It doesn't matter. Remove all the rubble, do a factual check with God. He will show you. It won't finish in a day or two, but He will show you. Get rid of it all. Start building the walls of your salvation and check your praise. That's how you know. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with That's how you actually check your salvation. And your salvation is actually checked by your praise in bad situations. Terrible situations. Everybody can praise when something good happens to you. It's not difficult. Every religion, every color, even atheist will say in his own atheistical language, hallelujah. If something, you know. So, it's not a big thing. But the real praise and thanksgiving is when something that hurts you, that breaks you, that grieves you, that troubles you happens. No, that's why I remember David. Always remember David. Why is that man who wrote how many? 77? 78 of the 150 Psalms maybe? Because he was a true, not a worship leader. He was a man who could praise God in any city. I mean imagine you did goofed up so badly. And the child is dead. And you know you are absolutely totally responsible for the death of that child. And then you rise up and go worship God. Boy. That is worship. That is worship. When one of my, no, one of my kids died at the age of, not age, at the 45th day he died. His name was Stephen. And that's one of the first things I did as a pastor was bury my son. And when he died, it was on a Wednesday. And on Thursday, the pastor called me and said, James, you are supposed to lead worship on Sunday. Will you or can you? And I said, I will and I can. I will and I can. That was in 1996, May the 31st. Okay. And then that Sunday when I was leading worship, because I led worship in my grief, you know, I still, these are vivid things in your life you can never forget. That you are standing at the SBH counter at Osmania University breaking your FD because a child is in the ICU. As you break 
The manager is asking, sir, where do you want to break? I said, my son is in the ICU. He said, okay, okay, sorry, quickly, he did it again. I said, took the money, I knew he was gone. It's gone. And he was gone. And I remember driving all the from OU to Basan Sahani, worshipping God. I just worshipped and said, I don't understand, but I will thank you, I will praise you, I will worship you. Through it all. Okay, so when I preach certain things, it is not from the head. You know what I'm talking about. And that Sunday when I was leading worship, I heard the Lord say, I will give you another son. And you shall name him Andrew. And just four years later, the child was born. And as soon as it conceived, I said, Lord, it is a boy. No scanning, nothing those days. And it was a boy. Okay? So when you talk about God, it's a real person. He takes you through it all. He not only takes you to still waters and green pastures, but even when you walk through the valley of shadow of death, he doesn't let go of your hand. Oh, death is too much for me. I have to let go of you. No, he said, I'll take you through it. So learn from Nehemiah. Learn from these greats. What is actual salvation? And how is the, what is the test of your salvation? Is your praise. You'll be able to praise God and thank God. Thank God. Okay? Thank God through it all. So learn from Nehemiah. The hand of the Lord is upon me and I know what my king has spoken. What did he say? I give you permission. And I give you provision. And I give you protection. And what is the promise for this year? Rise up and build. Rise up and build. And he's there with you. But learn from Nehemiah. Okay? You have to learn from this leader because it always takes one man For God to touch and put him through the bringer. Share in the sorrow of God. That's why we have to go through sorrow. Because God grieves over man. Because he's a father. And he knows much of mankind will never see his face. So he grieves. And one of the first signs of a genuine touch of God is that you share in the grief of God. That's why God put that burden upon this man's heart that he's able to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem. That's how you actually know you are in ministry. Ministry is not preaching eloquence. I never had it. It's a dark book. Never had the skill to. It's not that. It is that God puts a burden on your heart. And you know that burden is not yours. It is his burden you are sharing. Okay, That's how you know you are called to full time minister. He puts a burden in your heart. And uh, Nehemiah was such a person. He was a slave. Probably a eunuch. Because if you have to be the king's cupbearer, absolutely sure you have been made into a eunuch. Because once upon a time eunuchs were very prominent in the society because they did not have family, wives or children. The king could trust them and their loyalty. That's where eunuchs were. So he was definitely a slave taken from Jerusalem, so from Israel. Probably made into a eunuch. Yet, A man who has no attachments is so attached to Jerusalem. And his heart is in Jerusalem. Though his body is trapped in Babylon. And scripture says on that day he was overwhelmed by sorrow. By a report. What is the report? The people are in distress. Walls are burned. Walls are broken down. And the gates are Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. 
It came to pass in the month of Nisan in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Part of it I mentioned yesterday. Look at this. Imagine you are caught in a Hamayas position. Everything that is dear to you has been taken away. Your freedom, your liberty, your manhood, your desire to have a family, children, and your beloved city. Your Everything has been taken away from you. But I have been, never been sad in the presence of the king. Never. It's not that he's not sad. It never showed. So one of the things which I want you to get into your mind, especially people sitting here, married people, all of you, is an incredible sense of duty. He never carried his grief to his office or his office trouble to his home. Some of us are not able to really function because we bring all the troubles of the office home. And some of us are not able to function well at office because we take all the conflict of home to the office. Learn from Nehemiah. You've never been sad in the presence of And for something like to show in his face. I mean, what self-control, right? Now you have this uh, in the in in London when you go as tourists and all you have this the soldiers standing over there, no, and they won't blink, they will look like that, and children all try to do all can they won't even do anything. Okay, incredible control, trained. Nehemiah was before the king. He never showed, but for him to show, he had never been sad in his presence before. So for the first time in his entire royal service for the expression to come on his face and for the king to notice how heartbroken is he. How heartbroken is he over the situation of a city that is beloved to his God. How heartbroken are we when our walls are down and our gates are burned down. What we see around the world, the church, walls are gone. Compromise has set in. I'm not saying you should hide your feelings. But, you all have our problems. In Psalm 42, verse 11. This is what scripture says. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in the Lord, for I shall yet praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. Meaning it literally saying, your salvation will show on your face. Salvation will show on your face. That's what happened in Nehemiah 2, 1 and 2. The king looked at him. The king looked at him. And he said, your face is sad. 
See, even before China and all these countries, US, India, all this began facial recognition. It was there in the Bible. The king looked at him. And he said, your face is sad. And your sadness is a sadness of the heart. And scripture says, I became dreadfully afraid. I was telling, why are these things, when you read these kind of things, you have to put these things all written over there. Why you have to mark those? Why is it all these details given over there? It is talking about the nature of earthly kings. It, the king doesn't care what you're going through. When you stand before him to serve him, be sure that your expression is something which he likes. If your child is dead or your wife is left, you I don't want to see that. That's none of my business. You better stand there and smile. Put it up there and paste it over there. That's the kind of kings people ruled. Nations. Absolutely ruthless and selfish. Why is it put over there? Because we have a king of kings who is bent down and bow down and asks come and be part of me. And these are the kind of kings we have served. That's why these details about kings are given in the Bible. How ruthless they were. Uncaring they were. And he had never been and he was dreadfully afraid. Why? Because he knows he could be cast out of service, imprisonment, death, anything if the king is displeased. Even the queen Esther was scared to go to the king because you cannot go without invitation. The only way you know is if he doesn't stress the scepter, the eunuchs will come cover you and take you. That means you are finished. king is displeased with you. This is the nature of earthly kings. Look at the nature of our heavenly king. Because when you see these things, only we actually learn to really, really love Jesus, king of kings and lord of lords, before whose face the book of Revelation says heaven and sky and everything fled. So one thing you see is Nehemiah had good control over his countenance. Because your countenance is a visible mark of your salvation. Good control over his countenance. Not only that. Nehemiah 2.12 and then verse 16. I arose in the night, I and a few men with him. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. In verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone. What I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials or the others who did the not only did Nehemiah had control over his countenance, he had also good control over his conversation. Some people have what is I call verbal diarrhea. It's just all they do is talk and talk and talk and talk and also nonsense. This guy come there all the way from Susa to Jerusalem on mission very and nobody has a clue what he's come for. It's a very personal mission with the king's permission. Checked everything around and nobody has it. That's the way it should be. It's not that you shouldn't talk, but there is an order in which you talk. Look at the Hamad chapter one, verse four and five. 
It's interesting the order given there. It was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God of heaven and I said, pray Lord God of heaven. See, look at this order. What did he do first? He spoke to God first. He spoke on the phone to man first. He spoke to God first. He spoke to God first. And when the king asked, why are you sad? Look at his order again. In chapter 2. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to God in heaven. And I said to the king. See his order? Spoke to God. Then spoke to the king. It's not that you shouldn't talk. God says, know the order of your conversation when you go through situations in life. Talk to God. Then talk to the person who can help you. But first talk to God. I talk to God. I pray to God of heaven. Then I spoke to the king. And in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, then I said to them, then he spoke to the people. He spoke to God. He spoke to the king who can help him. Then he spoke to the people who could help him with the construction. That is the order in which, when you are going to rise up and build, there is an order in which things should happen. God, and the ones who can really help you, give you, no, help you, and then the others who will assist you. That is the order in which he went. You have to learn the simple fundamental things which will help you a lot in life. What will happen is we will first go and tell everything to the people. And then when they all turn around against us and it is impossible, we will try to go to God and say, Lord, please help me. Nobody is helping me. God said, why did you go to them in the first place? You didn't come to me. In 2020, learn this order. God. Then those who matter in the chain of command. Then you have a word of encouragement for the people around. In 2.17, he says, let us start building. Why? Because of disgrace. You see the distress that we are in? People often accept bondage and disgrace too easily. Too easily. Think, nobody is even thinking about rebuilding. It took a man to travel thousand years before somebody thought, oh, this can be done. We accept our slavery to sin, our slavery to habits and slavery to the devil so easily. So easily. Don't accept it so easily. So I said to them, do you see this? Actually, they all live there. They saw it every day. Everybody walked over the rubble and went. They were absolutely okay. They walked in, we walk in our sin, walk over our sin, walk around our sin, except deal with our sin. God says, don't get used to it. It can be removed, it can be changed, it can be handled. You have to say, I'm going to clean the trash out and rebuild. Because the gracious hand of the Lord is upon us. Again, say, even if 2019 was an entire pile of rubbish, it doesn't matter. Rise up one stone at a time. One spade of mortar at a time, we will remove. Scripture says in verse 18, Then they set their hands to this good work. Meaning they put their hands to it. 
they decided. 2020, the first decision you have to take is, I am going to put my hand to this. Arise and build. Remember the past few weeks we were looking at David's tabernacle? The one which God wants to build. You want to build God's tabernacle, David's tabernacle, it needs to have walls around it. It needs to have gates. Walls of salvation and gates of praise. As I close, one thing which I want you to do when you go back home for your homework, <clears throat> when the Bible closes, that's why we have to see the end through God's eyes. When the Bible closes, we have given two final chapters of the new creation. Chapter 21 of Revelation. What is? What do you see? New Jerusalem. It's an entire description of New Jerusalem. But you know in the entire description of New Jerusalem, what is described? Walls and the gates. The entire 22 chapters are actually what is in the city. The entire 21 is about walls and gates. Think for a minute. There are only two chapters in the entire Bible talking about the new creation, what the future is going to be. Future for us, present for God, is like. And one chapter, almost the maximum portion is given about the nature of the walls and the gates. I mean, it is spiritual. That realm, we don't understand it fully. Let me tell you this. Let me explain to you probably this way. Scripture says in Revelation 19 that the bride, so New Jerusalem is also called the bride, the bride, and she was given white clothes. And scripture says it is not actually white clothes, it's the righteous works of the saints. All these things are. Jesus said, do not store treasure in heaven. But he said, store, store treasure in, it's sorry, on earth, store treasure in. What if our obedience and our dealing with sin and fulfilling the purpose of God when we are doing it, actually in heaven we are building the walls of Jerusalem. What if you reach heaven and you find, this is Jyoti's portion, she built it on earth, this is her portion. That's my life? God says, that's your life, you build that wall. Because the gates are the apostles, twelve gates, here there are only ten gates. Because the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What if, without even realizing, we are building something here, but it is seen there? What if you end up there and you realize you had no part in the construction? Because Jesus said, some will just come through the fire, but all they built got burned up. Right? Because you have to see it in spiritual terms. That's what everybody wants. No, even when they die, they want a certificate. Medals, trophy. And that's what Paul is talking about. Running for a crown that is imperishable. Because what is the spiritual realm? We don't understand. But the most beautiful part of the Bible, when you come to the last two chapters, it's all about walls and gates. And scripture says, nothing unclean will enter it. So you see the purpose of the walls and the gates. And you realize that when you build your walls up, 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 you're keeping a lot of stuff out of your lives and deciding what you're going to let in. Let in. Think on those terms, 2020, and be very, like, take it very seriously. First the cleaning, rubble, and then we start building. 
building our individual lives. And you will hear very clearly, God speaks. He speaks. I have to keep telling this to people, God speaks. He speaks. I want you to 2020. So 2020 in ophthalmological terms is clear vision, right? Perfect vision. Yeah, 2020, almost all of you should be very clear before 20. I understood my purpose of my life. This is it. And then life becomes very easy. You save time, you save energy, you save money, you save relationships, you lose some relationships, you gain a few, because it's all defined by that purpose. Because you have known, not just you are saved, for what purpose God saved you. Shall we stand? Shall we thank God for the new year by faith? We are just 40 minutes into the new year. And just thank God. This heavy snacks, okay, really heavy, okay? You will go heavier than you, you came. Just thank God. It's awesome. Father, this early in the morning, it is still dark everywhere, but we know we have entered into a new year. And a new decade, Lord. I believe it will be the defining ten years in almost most lives standing here. These ten years will define everything we end up in life in eternity. And it begins now, today. And I pray for all of us, Lord. We all have piles of trash, rubble. We may not see it, but you have seen it. And if we ask you, you will show it. And you not only will show it, you will also give us the grace to remove it. And you give us the power to overcome it. And we commit ourselves as a church here. I pray, touch us, Lord. Help us to build the walls of our salvation. And the gates of our praise. That truly each one becomes a tabernacle of the living God. That the countenance will reflect our God. Our countenances. When we go out to our workplaces, they will know. Potiphar knew Joseph's God was with him. He didn't have to speak a word. The prison warden knew God was with Joseph. And I pray, Lord, all our young ones, they go to their workplaces, schools, colleges. When they make these choices, it will show. It will show. The trash has been removed. The walls are being built. And the gates are being established. And there is praise in the Holy of Holies. Unceasing offering of the sacrifice of praise in every life here. That's my prayer for 2020, Lord. We will be a worshipping people. At home, outside, when we gather together, a set of worshipping people, Lord. A people who worship you. In spirit, in truth. And it will be the death knell of the flesh. The Tobias and Geshems and Sanbalats will have no portion in our life. And we speak to the devil, you have no portion in our life. 
For the hand of our God is gracious and is upon us. And the king has given us permission and the provision and the power to rise up and build. And we will rise up and build in his name for his glory. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for another year. We thank you, Lord, for all who went away with the Lord in 2019, even yesterday. Richie's aunt went to be with the Lord. For all those, the pastor's wife who went two days back, so many went, Lord. Dr. David's mother, so many went. We thank you for their lives. It was time for them to go home. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Everyone we know who went knew you. So they went to be with you. We just thank you for them. We are here in 2020 because our race in your sight is not finished. That's why you gave us another year. Because we still haven't finished. And our battle continues. And for all of us who are in 2020, I pray we will fight the good fight of faith. And we will finish our course. And we will keep that faith, Lord. Which has been once and for all handed over to the saints. Equip us, empower us, and keep us close to you. Thank you, thank you, Lord, once again for all that you are going to do in our lives starting today. Now by faith, the blood of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, and the word of Jesus has sanctified us. Once again in your sanctuary, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.